Welcome to the American Experiment Podcast. I'm John Hinderocker, joined today by Isaac Orr. Isaac, we are currently running a campaign at American Experiment opposing something that its, its proponents call the clean transportation standard. Anytime you hear the word clean nowadays, it's kind of a red flag, right? What is the clean transportation standard? Yeah, so proponents of this new regulation want to essentially adopt something from California. It's a regulation from California. Out there, they call it the low-carbon fuel standard. Essentially, it is a cap-and-trade system for gasoline. So uh, the way it works is uh, there is a permissible amount of CO2 that is allowed to be emitted per mile that you drive. And, and you being what? All of us in all of, us. of Minnesota? Yes, the plebes. Yeah. Yes, okay. the Joe public. Um, so... Uh, when you have uh, essentially the way that they've structured it is eventually gasoline and diesel fuel will generate deficits and other you know ways that you can power a vehicle maybe that's renewable diesel or electricity generate credits right so every electricity for Teslas and so forth yes yes for well you know you can have a, a lame electric car too but predominantly Tesla is what is you know if you look at the vehicle registration data almost all of the I don't say almost all, but the majority of electric vehicles in Minnesota are Teslas, right? That's just the way that it works. So um, the essentially what happens is the fuel producers, right? So that would be refineries, that sort of stuff, are required to buy credits to offset the deficits. And essentially, it's a wealth transfer. Um, so buy credits from whom? So uh, it would be, you know, if you're a convenience store and you install an electric vehicle charger, and you have people that are fueling up at your facility, then every, you know, for every ton of CO2 that you avert by using an electric vehicle, then that convenience store owner would get a credit and they would be able to monetize that by having a, you know, a refinery purchase that credit in order to sell their gasoline, right? So that is essentially how it works. It, so, so let me let me see if I'm understanding this correctly, Isaac. The bottom line of all this yeah. is that they increase the cost of gasoline, and they use that money to subsidize electric vehicles. Is that is yeah? That kind of the the, the end cost result? of purchasing these credits gets passed on to the consumer. Ultimately, that's what happens. So it's kind of a stealth gas tax. You can mm -hmm. think of it that way, right? So. Uh, Mitch Rowling and I just released a new report today, actually. You can go to nogasstationinflation.com and sign our petition, A, telling your legislator that you don't want this to go through, and you can also check out the report. But we found that this is going to increase the cost of gasoline between 39 and 45 cents a gallon by 2030. And, you know, that sounds like it's a long way away because it's 2030, <laughs> but it's almost 2025. Yeah, not to right? me it doesn't. Right? <laughs> uh, so... I mean, that's that's within five or six years, and that's that's a lot of money. I mean, uh, that's three hundred and fifty to four hundred and fifty dollars per household uh, on average. But there's a really big discrepancy between uh, who pays more, right? So if you live in a rural county, you are paying much more than folks that are in Ramsey County, or simply Hennepin because county. you have to drive farther to get anywhere. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So you've done the math on this, right? You've calculated the average resident of Hennepin County, Ramsey County, but then also the rural counties. How yep. does that work out? Yeah, so Ramsey County, I believe that their uh, additional cost that they would pay as a household in 2030 is $443. But if you live in Wilkin County, you're looking at $1,150 a year in additional costs just because 
Uh, what we did is we looked at the Minnesota Department of Transportation's vehicle miles traveled. They have estimates for you know how many miles were traveled on all their roads. We just took like a per capita. Um, so how many people live in this county? And then also, uh, what's the average fuel economy for cars in Minnesota? So we were able to kind of approximate what the costs would be, and we made a map of it. Um, so there's like a little graphic in our report, and there's also a table in back. So if you want to see what this would cost you in your county, you can just go on our website and figure it out. So historically, Isaac, I don't think this has been 100% true, but historically, the idea behind the gasoline tax, has, which is substantial, of course, has been that it goes for maintenance of, what, roads and highways and bridges. Uh, that, that used to be, at least, the rationale. And so the more miles you drove, well, okay, you're putting wear and tear on the roads and highways and so on, and you're, you're supporting their maintenance, and you're supporting new construction through the gasoline tax. But just so our listeners are clear on this, Isaac, this has got nothing to do with, with improving the roads and highways, right? Absolutely. There is no none of the additional money that uh, people will pay as a result of this regulation go to roads and bridges. It will go to basically profits for companies that sell the approved fuels that the state of Minnesota wants them to, which is essentially going to be gas, or sorry, electricity, right? So uh, one thing that we should talk about is Minnesota's regulations are far more extreme than anything else that's been proposed throughout the country. And let's hold that thought, Isaac, because that was actually going to be my next question. Okay. There are three states that have done something like this. Yes. Maybe not quite as extreme, but something like a California, Oregon, Washington. Have they seen significant increases in the price of gasoline in those states? Yep, absolutely. So uh, a few years ago, Stillwater Associates had a study that said California's costs were up by 22 cents a gallon as a result of these regulations. Oregon's was at seven cents a gallon. Uh, they enacted it later, so they were like a little bit further behind the curve on that. But yeah, I mean, there's some people argue that this isn't going to increase the price of gasoline or it's unknowable how much the price is going to increase as a result of this. Great Plains Institute is guilty of this. They're, they're pushing the policy and they're kind of real charlatans when it comes to owning and confessing the actual cost for the program. But uh, thankfully, the Department of uh, Environmental Quality in Oregon clearly has a, has a page that says, cost of the clean fuels program. Yeah. <laughs> right. And you can go on there and you can see what it costs, right? So this is, uh, and then by 2030, I believe, the Oregon program is going to cost like 31 cents a gallon, right? Um, so there is a real measurable cost that comes as a result of these, and Minnesota's regulation, like I was saying earlier, is going to be even more onerous than the ones that have been passed in California, Washington, and Oregon. So as we have seen in some other areas as well, here in Minnesota, we, we borrow an idea from California and make it even worse. Yes, yep. <laughs> Which is not easy to do. I think it's because the Vikings have never won a Super Bowl, <laughs> so people in Minnesota need some sort of distinct or distinction, so... They just want to be as liberal as possible. So, so, um, but Isaac, you, there's always the cost and the benefit, yep, right? Yep. And, and we've talked about the cost. Oh, let's add one thing, though, before we sure. move on to the benefit, and that's ethanol. Mm -hmm. uh, this, this, these regulations will have a significant impact on Minnesota's ethanol industry, right? Yeah, yeah. So this policy has frequently been sold as a means of increasing the amount of biofuels that are sold in the state. But because this regulation is so much crazier than California's, E10 would generate deficits 
by 2025. So after one year of being in operation, E15 would generate deficits by 2026, and uh, E85 would generate deficits by 2032. So you were looking at a very short window until you know ethanol is a liability and not an asset when it comes to the way that they've structured this program. So, so basically, it's a phasing out of, of it is a bait and switch on biofuels, ethanol. right? So so okay. So we've been talking about the costs of this um, of this program. Now let's switch over and talk about the benefits because after all, Isaac, this is all about saving the planet, yep. right? How much of the planet does this actually save? Uh, so we calculated that the de- or difference in global temperatures as a result of this regulation would be 0.00095 degrees Celsius by 2100. So this is an amount far too small to measure. So There's, there's no scientific device that is precise enough to even tell that difference. You experience more fluctuation in temperature just stepping outside from your house than... You know, well, vastly, vastly, vastly more, So, yeah. um, especially in you know February. That's yeah, most Februarys, right? Yeah, this <laughs> right. one's a little bit of an exception, but um, yeah. So it's scientific, it's economically punitive, but environmentally immeasurable. And and you and you and uh, our colleague Mitch Rowling have made similar calculations for other kinds of environmental proposals that you have written about. And when you when you do that. Um, you actually assume that the formula that the Obama administration used to measure the benefits of various kinds of oh, green energy proposals and, and so on, reductions in carbon dioxide, you actually use the Obama administration formula for that, right? Yeah, even though we think it's probably too alarmist, right? Like, we, we don't necessarily agree with those numbers, but we just say, look, uh, everyone loved Obama here, right? So if you thought that he was doing a good job, we are using his methodology, and this is the number we're coming to. I personally believe that those calculations vastly overstate sure. the impact of carbon dioxide on the climate. Uh, but as an organization, we don't really make that case, do we? I mean, it's, it is what it is. But even if you assume uh, these kind of lavish, this sort of lavish attribution of global warming to carbon dioxide, even if you assume that, sure. you still are getting zero measurable benefit out of these proposals. That's correct. So, so this sounds like a horrible idea. This sounds like, you know, this is a classic example of a government program that just increases your cost of living. So if you live in a rural county, you know, when this goes into effect, oops, you're $1,000 poorer than you used to be. You don't get anything for that. You know, it's not like you bought something for $1,000. You bought, we're assuming you buy the same amount of gasoline that you were buying before. You're just paying 1000 bucks more for it. So it's really a, a dead loss to Minnesota consumers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but you will probably be cross-subsidizing somebody's Tesla in the Twin Cities. So you can feel good about that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, when, when your lawyer drives by in yeah. his new Tesla, you can say, not only did I subsidize that by paying his fees, I also subsidized it at the gas pump. I, I don't know how many Minnesotans are going to feel real warm and fuzzy about that. No, it's not going to be good for the perception of lawyers. <laughs> so I can say that since I retired from that business now uh, some years ago. So, so if, if our listeners and our viewers don't think that this proposal sounds like a good idea, what should they do? Uh, yeah, I mean, what's not to like, right? 
other than that, Mrs. Lincoln, how was the play? Yeah, all costs, uh, yeah. no benefit. <laughs> right. uh, just what you need, pay more at the pump for gasoline. Yeah. Just subsidize somebody else. Yep. Uh, go to nogasstationinflation.com, sign our petition. Uh, almost 4,000 people have signed it so far. So uh, we're really excited about that uh, that campaign, and hopefully we can uh, get to 4,000. And you know, basically we need to, our legislators to understand that we don't want this, and sometimes there's a, a tendency for um, more rural lawmakers to be like, oh, well, I want to help the biofuels industry. But this doesn't do that, right? Actually, so it condemns it, the biofuels it def- it, industry. Yes, it condemns the biofuels industry in favor of electricity. So um, I think that there's going to be broad bipartisan opposition to this, but we want to make sure that you know everybody's letting their lawmaker know, hey, you know what? I don't want to pay an extra $800 for my gasoline. And if you go to, I want to say it again, make sure I get it right, nogasstationinflation.com, is that the right URL? If you go there, it's very easy. In fact, I did it just this morning. Okay, great. uh, Because we have not been promoting this campaign very long, and already 4,000 people have done. That's right. A lot of people are going to do this. But if you go there and you put in your name and your address, um, the software will automatically send your email to your representative and your senator, right? And that's really important because legislators care a lot about hearing from their constituents. They yes. tend not to care much about about hearing from somebody else's constituents, 100%. right? 100%. But if it's coming from someone in their district, it really counts. And if they hear from hundreds of people in their district, it's really powerful. So we really want to encourage our, our listeners and our viewers, go to nogasstationinflation.com and make your voice heard. Couldn't have said it better myself, John. <laughs> That's unusual, Isaac. And that makes it a great place to leave it there for today on the American Experiment Podcast. Thanks for viewing.